Welcome to From What If to What Next, the podcast that boldly imagines where no podcast has quite so boldly imagined before. Here we're all about imagination and how we cultivate the best conditions for its flourishing. Why do we do this every two weeks? Ursula Le Guin, one of the greatest guardians of the imagination in our culture, put it so beautifully. She wrote, The exercise of imagination is dangerous to those who profit from the way things are because it has the power to show that the way things are is not permanent, not universal. We will not be free if we do not imagine freedom. And so we focus our imagination not only on the big questions of the day and on the possibilities that are so rarely given the light of day, but also to allow ourselves to feel and dream into what the near future would be like if those changes came to be. Think of us as a test drive through a future where we made it. Try it on for size. Back in 1992, when most of you were probably just starting to walk, I sat down at St. Werberg's City Farm in Bristol to begin my two-week permaculture design course. I had no idea as I took out my notebook and my pen the degree to which that course would reshape the direction of my life and rewire my brain. A few days in, I started to see the world differently as though through new glasses. I no longer saw the world as it was, but as it could be. A street was no longer just a street, rather a tapestry of interconnected imaginary gardens, ponds, forest gardens, play spaces, gathering places. I could imagine the solar panels, the rainwater harvesting tanks, the community gardens. Permaculture principles became a foundation of my life and they still are. If the study of permaculture principles and their application to the world around us can have such a profound impact on my life and on the life of many, many people, including, no doubt, many of you listening to this, why is it not part of the education system? And how different would the world be if it was? And so today's question here at From What If to What Next, suggested by Patreon subscriber Sarah Fraser, if you aren't a subscriber, it would be so glorious if you were to become one. Thank you. Plug over. Is what if we rewrote the national curriculum based on permaculture principles? To join me in exploring this most fascinating of questions, I'm joined by two people who have been giving this question a lot of thought. Lucy Alderslow is the author of Earth Care, People Care and Fair Share in Education, the Children in Permaculture Manual, has been engaging children in permaculture in formal, non-formal and informal settings around Scotland since 2005. As an international permaculture diploma tutor and permaculture teacher, she has students around Europe. Lucy co-founded and led a unique outdoor playgroup in the city of Glasgow and an after-school forest school group in rural Galloway. She's a mother of two, a forest school leader, a human ecologist and co-founder and coordinator of the Children in Permaculture Project for the Permaculture Association and Gatehouse School. She's a Master of Science with distinction in human ecology and has worked in various schools and gardens creating permaculture education experiences for people of all ages. A certified children in permaculture trainer, she teaches online courses with engaging children in permaculture with students from Australia to Austria, Kenya to Costa Rica. And Matt Willer studied history at the University of East Anglia, which included environmental history. As a postgraduate, he completed fieldwork in post-war Bosnia to study how natural surroundings might help heal the wounds of war. 
Since university, he's worked and taught in rural Uganda where local food is grown because, with no supermarkets, there's no alternative. He's also visited Cuba to see the island's success at growing food locally without fossil fuels. He holds a certificate in permaculture design. And from 2013 to 2018, he was a full-time humanities teacher at Repum High School and College. And it was during this time that Matt decided to attempt to create a school allotment to inspire his students. After five years of non-stop work and with the help of many amazing people, the allotment project became a nationally recognised and celebrated secondary school allotment, which subsequently won multiple awards. In 2018, his work and efforts at Repum High School and College won him the prestigious Royal Horticultural Society's School Gardening Champion of the Year Award, which included meeting HRH, the Prince of Wales. He went on to win the Norwich and Norfolk Eco Hero Award by public vote in 2019. And in 2019, he also left full-time teaching to set up the Papillon Project, now a registered charity. The allotment project at Repum High School and College in many respects was the accidental pilot project that inspired him to create the Papillon project so he and many others can help other secondary schools and colleges in Norfolk to inspire children and young people to lead more sustainable lives too. Welcome. Thank you both so much for joining us here today. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Really, really, really looking forward to it. I'd like to start by inviting you both to do an exercise that we usually start this podcast with. So I'd like to invite you and any listeners at home, unless, of course, they're currently in the middle of carrying out any complex surgical procedure, in which case, please don't, uh, to close your eyes and get comfortable. I'd like you to imagine that you're leaving 2020 and travelling forward through time to 2030. Those 10 years you travel through are a time of profound and remarkable deep transition in society unimaginable in 2020. You emerge dazzled into a 2030 that is profoundly changed. A low-carbon society, one that is more just, equal, resilient, biodiverse, creative and local. It's amazing. And one of the key things that happened over that time is that in 2024, the national curriculum was rewritten to be based on permaculture principles. It felt bold and pioneering at the time, but it's now utterly unremarkable and it has profoundly changed what is taught, how it is taught and the places in which it is taught. I'd like to invite you to walk us into a school of your imagining and walk us around. What does it look like, feel like, sound like, taste like? Can you bring it alive for us? Matt, let's start with you. Thank you, Rob. I think the first thing that would appear is that everything appears to be a great deal more balanced. And I feel that I like to think by 2030 that teachers and children all enjoy this wonderful experience of going to school because you know, currently in 2020, there was a lot of unbalancing between too much focus on exams. Certainly in 2020, schools were a bit like a very busy, bustling railway station with lots of movement, lots of sound. And I think now that the decade of the 2020s has kind of created this period of rethinking and re-evaluating and ultimately by 2030 there is this fantastic and fundamental renewed understanding of why it is important for children to go to school. So I think one of the first things that I would see in 2030 is huge focus on 
on the environment, even the little details of, you know, great more plants around the school, rather than schools looking quite kind of barren and boring, I think there would be a lot more greenery, a lot more life around that. But as I said, the biggest thing for me is that you are hit with this understanding that balance has been achieved by 2030. And as a, as a former teacher myself, one of the reasons I went on to do what I'm doing now, and I know we'll talk about it later, so I got very disappointed that there's far too much focus on tests and exams. And I think by 2030, it would be a wonderful sight to see children genuinely really enjoying a national curriculum where they are being rehearsed for for you know in many respects to be the next stewards of 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 the planet and i think by 2030 as part of this re-understanding and re-evaluating of what schools are about i think the key thing is also that parents and the community would create this shared responsibility not just teachers about preparing the next generation to be better stewards of the world that we were in 2020 Wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, Lucy? Thank you. Yes, I concur. In my vision for 2030, all schools and nurseries are permaculture designed learnscapes. At least half of all nurseries are fully outdoors, so 100% outdoors in nature all day, every day. Children are learning through play following a nature-based curriculum up to the age of seven. In fact, all children up to the age of seven are in play-based learning kindergartens. Those with buildings allow children to run freely between the indoors and the outdoors. The school and nursery outdoor spaces are biodiverse. They're designed to meet the needs of the child rather than the teacher focusing on being welcoming, even more inviting children who run in happy to be there. There's lots of food growing. It's fun. Children just want to be there. They're happy. There are food forests, which have all the seven layers of a natural woodland in our climate. There's so much food growing there for us and for other species. We're providing habitats for so many different species in the school grounds. There's plants and other systems in place to build the nutrients as well and recover nutrients that from the rest of the school. There's winding paths around the outdoor spaces and it's playful. There's lots of fun things to do for young people and children of all ages. In these learnscapes, the buildings are all net zero. Yep, within those 10 years, we have net zero schools throughout the country. Each school is generating their own electricity. They're upcycling materials in circular systems. They capture the rainwater and cycle that and use that within the school as appropriate. Their retrofitted passive house design has the highest standard of insulation, has heat recovery ventilation. All those little bodies are giving out enough heat to keep the buildings at a nice temperature of 18 degrees Celsius throughout the year. All the children are going to be learning in and from nature. 
every child, every day. There will be project-based learning. So rather than saying, today we're going to learn maths through a worksheet, you'll be learning maths through gardening or doing practical projects that the children have chosen what their project is and they get excited about doing it. And you can backcast into seeing that they are learning all areas of the national curriculum, which, by the way, at this point is including the children in permaculture curriculum. So children are learning about life on Earth. They're learning about soil, about trees, about fungus and those words that were lost decades ago from children's vocabulary have been reclaimed and children know what a dandelion is. They learn about design, about growing food, about the permaculture ethics and principles which underpin everything that they do, about social permaculture, about looking after themselves and each other, and about the built environment and resource use. The whole school system is inclusive of children of all abilities, neurodiversity, race, colour. Everybody feels included and respected because we focus on their strengths. The school inspectors understand that the outdoors is really nourishing for the child and that fosters holistic development. So they're really interested in seeing the holistic development of the child and not interested in numbers. From age 12, children learn all about the climate emergency and throughout all the things that they're learning, they are learning on solutions, how they can be part of the solution and how they can create systems that are low carbon systems. There's no bell. In 2030, there are no bells. You know why? because there's a diversity of activity types that teachers know how to follow a breathing in and out. That the children sometimes are so engrossed in what they're doing that they're having a great time, they don't need a break. Or another time they need their break earlier and that they can follow their own biorhythms and their own interests and needs so that they can meet all their needs. The actual education is based on learning through eyes, head, heart and hand, so holistic planning. That means that children are learning through all the senses. They're learning through doing as well as learning the head, the facts and figures and learning through heart, through story, connection, song, drama. We always focus on the child's strengths and we work on collaboration and not competition. And together with Matt, there are no exams just portfolio-based learning. Children choose. Children choose what they learn, when they learn, and they don't have to be there in set hours. There's actually flexible working hours for children as there are in so many workplaces today. Another important part of my vision is that all children are involved in decision-making throughout the school, including things like what time they start school. So there's sociocratic systems set up for the whole school across all schools, which we've learned from democratic schools in places like the Netherlands. Big one is food. So most of the food eaten in the school is grown in school grounds and on their roofs and in neighboring land that's needed. The children help to grow the food and prepare the food and it's free. You don't pay to eat. In summary, the permaculture ethics of earth care, people care and fair share underpin 
all education with repercussions throughout wider society. In earth care, now and in the future, through education, we will be reducing our negative impact and increasing our positive impact on all of life. Within people care, which is embedded in the culture of the whole school, and that has repercussions to the culture of the homes and to the workplaces, as the children go to them later in life, and even the parents. We have diversity, which is valued throughout society. So people of all abilities, neurodiversities, genders, races, colours. There is no bullying. There is no discrimination. And in Fair Share, we see there is equality between children. And all of us are taking only a fair share of resources. And we are redistributing these back to earth care and people care. Fabulous. Thank you both so much for that. What a, what a rich uh, immersion. And uh, I, I guess a good place to start our conversation, because we can't assume that everybody really know, quite knows what we're talking about, is that thorny question always hard to answer when asked in the pub without the ability to reach for a flip chart pad and to start drawing <laughs> chickens, orchards and a lot of arrows, is for listeners who don't know, what's permaculture? And give us, a, what's your, your definition of permaculture in a couple of sentences? Lucy? Permaculture is designed for sustainable living. All right, one sentence then. <laughs> or in the, as it says on the back of my teacher, it is revolution disguised as gardening. That one's from Mike Feingold in Bristol. Fabulous. Thank you. Matt? When I explain it to children, if they ask the question, you know, what's this permaculture word you're using? I said, well, it's a way of mimicking nature. It's a way of copying uh, what nature is doing. And, you know, linking back to what Lucy was saying earlier, I think for the a permaculture national curriculum would be certainly designed to uh, you know make children and young people understand really what is the greatest teacher what is the th- the thing that has the most experience out of out of us all and that is something that's had millions of years to get it right and that is nature itself and one of the demands of the wonderful Fridays for future school strikers is to be taught about climate change in school it always struck me that if that's all we do, we risk creating deep despondency, heartbreak and powerlessness. How different would it be if permaculture principles were the foundation by which we approached teaching this subject to young people at school? Uh, Matt? The key permaculture principles would celebrate uh, all manner of ideas. And I think certainly as a teacher, it would give a lot of children a a huge inspiration and I think it would engage children far more than it does at the moment in regards to education. So I think the key permaculture principles uh, would make a much more wholesome and much more fun, healthy and that key word as I mentioned at the beginning that that balance education. I think ultimately what that would bring is happier children, happier teachers and from my experience of being a teacher when you get children happy that's when they learn and achieve far more. Yes I love that Matt the the concept of the happy child the real goal of a teacher is to have a happy child because if you're happy learning kind of just happens along the way and and that's that's the beauty of of that project-based learning that you're learning other things by the by in order to achieve your other goal whether that's creating a beautiful garden or, or building 
an amazing straw bale structure or a cob oven or, or whatever it is that is exciting the children. There's just so many benefits of learning about the permaculture ethics and principles throughout life. Some of them are a bit more complicated. And the climate emergency, as you said, I think, of course, needs to be understood and embedded. And I think it's about finding solutions. How can physics help us to find solutions to the climate emergency? You know, how can we make things, create systems and buildings and everything, grow food in a way that will reduce our negative impact on the environment and increase our positive impact. And that's what permaculture is trying to do throughout, through our earth care. And principles like one that Matt mentioned, working with nature or using and valuing diversity can really help us to see how that would would change the education system. Um, produce no waste. So you, we, if we really produce no waste within the school, what a difference that would make. Everything that is currently output would become an input to something else. We talk about the environment as being the the big teacher. You know, there's there's another teacher. Is if you're teaching in schools that are pumping out huge volumes of carbon emissions, then what are you learning without teaching it? What are the children picking up there? So embedding, changing those systems will enable children to change systems throughout home life and work life into the future. So in a moment, I I want to ask you how a national curriculum based on permaculture principles would change how young people are taught. But I'd like to start just by asking how it would change what young people are taught. What would we need to let go of and what would we introduce What in the current curriculum doesn't really serve young people in the time of the climate and ecological emergency and what does? Uh, Lucy? I have here the children in permaculture curriculum, so that'll help me with the the content, you know. I think, yeah, there are so many things um, that are not taught. And I think I mentioned there the lost words, which is a book of all these words which were taken out of the dictionary for children because children don't need to know what a dandelion is anymore. And those ones all need to come back. So the the vocabulary of nature mustn't be lost. And that vocabulary, that head learning is really essential Um, just through conversation, through the way that things are doing. There's so much that's learned through sort of worksheets in ways that tend to be, take a lot longer to learn uh, than if, learnt through play. So actually engaging children in play, they'll pick things up much, much faster. So it's not that you need to ditch the other content, it's that you simply engage children in things which they're interested in, thus they learn faster. Making learning fun and relevant to their lives. Great. Uh, Matt? I think all subjects are important without, I mean, that goes without question, but I think what what really needs to be ditched is the, as I said at the beginning, um, the, the unbalancedness in regards to the total focus on on exams and assessments and one of the reasons why I came away from teaching is because I just felt I was working on behalf of the exam board and I think what certainly needs to be ditched is the kind of the constant kind of stream of sit down listen to your teacher the big 
busyness of of the school itself. And I think agreeing totally with Lucy is that there almost needs to be fifty percent of time spent outside. You know that that key that key opportunity for children to reconnect to nature and being being immersed in their school allotments, their well being garden, their forest garden. So I don't think any subjects necessarily need to be ditched. I think they all need to link up together to ultimately rehearse the next generation for a much more sustainable future. But I think what does need to be ditched is the kind of how busy and bustling and non-stop it is, because in my experience, school education in 2020 is kind of really on the verge of being unsustainable. And, you know, it's ironic, isn't it, that, you know, we're trying to advocate sustainability when it's just too pressured for children. I think, again, coming back to what I mentioned before, finding that balance. And I think that balance needs to come from ditching too many assessments, too much homework, and just schools being much more mindful of spending time in nature. And you mentioned uh, having having been a teacher yourself, uh, what a struggle that was in lots of ways. And I, I wonder how a, this kind of a shift where permaculture principles became the underpinning of the national curriculum would affect how uh, teaching is done. How would it affect how teaching happens, how schools organise themselves, how schools reimagine themselves as learning communities? Matt? I love that what you've mentioned there, that learning communities. And I think schools would restructure themselves. And I think there would be a much solid goal. I think from my experience of the schools that I've worked at, all the different departments seem to work in isolation and independent just to get their children ready for that single history exam or geography exam or maths exam. Whereas I think if permaculture was brought in, uh, and the principles were the guiding light. I think there would be a very key goal, a very key objective. And I genuinely believe that would make going to school for teachers and children much more purposeful. So I think when you've got that, uh, I think that will fundamentally change the, the mindfulness and the, and the well-being of teachers and staff and children, because, you know, certainly since I've been growing up, I think schools have become much more pressured and some degree unhappy place for children. That would certainly happen. And on that word that you mentioned there, Rob, about the community, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I think what I would love to see by 2030 is this this shared responsibility for rehearsing children for the next generation. I think more parents need to be involved in schools again, the local community to be involved in school. And I think teachers, parents and the community have this shared responsibility and that just makes rehearsing children and inspiring them and teaching them much more sustainable. Um, and coming back to what Lucy was saying, I think that would create diversity and children would see the importance of working with other adults that are not just their parents and not just their teachers. And that diversity is, you know, borrowed from nature. Nature is incredibly successful because it is so diverse. It works together and ultimately it's incredibly resilient. And I do worry, I do worry that our children are not so resilient as they once were. They, they seem to give up quite easily. And I think that all stems from the perhaps the culture that we have at the moment in teaching. So I think the permaculture principles would fundamentally change the day-to-day, but it would change the ethos of schools themselves. 
Mm. I remember when the when the climate strikes uh, started uh, in Australia, and the Australian Prime Minister was doing the thing that every Prime Minister did of saying these children should be in school. He said something like, "Our schools should not be parliaments." I thought that's exactly what our schools should be. Actually, two or two of my kids went to a democratic school where they actually had the power as as students to hire and fire teachers, for example, and change school rules. And it was quite an extraordinary uh, thing. Lucy, what's your sense of that? Of of, of how this would change how teaching happens and how schools uh, organise themselves. I think that there are some fantastic examples of of kindergartens. Um, you know, early years centres throughout Scotland anyway, in those early years where they're starting to understand that we integrate rather than segregate. It's one of the permaculture principles. And it's all those things that Matt said, you know, it's like learning through doing, involving, actually observing the children and the child at play. Children's work is play. They're learning as they're playing. They're learning so much more than than you you might initially think. And, And understanding that and observing and interacting with those children and more like going, oh, the children are doing this. Oh, look, that relates to that part of the curriculum is a a more appropriate way. And I think that's happening more and more in the early years. And that needs to go up throughout the the school years. So throughout primary school and, and into the secondary school so that, you know, the children are identify what it is that they want to learn about, what they want to do to create. And I uh, saw this fantastic example at a Montessori school in Prague where the children had been told that there wasn't enough space for them in the main school. And they were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? So they built themselves a classroom, which was a straw bale roundhouse. Incredibly beautiful. They did it all themselves. You know, of course, they invited somebody from not the school teacher they didn't know how to build it you know something like that but they invited somebody else who was a specialist eco builder to come and help them learn how to do it themselves and I think they learned so much through that not only the permaculture ethics and principles that would be embedded in that but importantly about you know their health and well-being and how the physical environment impacts upon our mental well-being as well, which, I mean, there's such a problem of, of mental well-being. They talk about the mental health crisis, and that was before COVID, they were saying that we're in a mental health crisis. So you can only imagine how much worse that is now. And, and that needs to be addressed. And school is, is, is a place where it can be. It can be a positive. It can be a force for good. And the way that the children can be empowered through making their own making decisions and pulling together collaboratively through portfolios rather than through exams will make a huge difference. Yeah, I think I think just to add to what Lucy's explained so well, I think certainly with what I'm doing with the charitable work at the moment with the school allotment projects around Norfolk is that just the most important thing as I say to our volunteers who go in to work with children in schools is the most important thing to get right and I believe this should really be the the case for 2030 Um, and that is just concentrating on just making sure children have a lovely time they have a lovely time because school in certainly by 2030 is 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 the most important place for children to be rehearsed for being much better stewards of the world and I think 
lots of children go to school and are not very happy. There's too much pressure. And I, you know, applaud what Lucy's saying with more portfolio-based learning. I think what it really boils down to from my experience of working with very privileged experience of working with lots of children is that, you know, it just comes down to making them have a lovely time. And we all know from our own time at school that, you know, you kind of fell in love with the subject if, if your teacher was good and, they, and the teacher spoke to you nicely. You know, that's certainly a, another subject in itself about the way that teachers are trained as well. I think that that should become a really important part of this 2030 permaculture orientated school. So I think, yeah, what, what's so important is that children have a wonderful, as much as possible, a wonderful experience of going to school. Because if we get that right in 2030, if we get that right, and they finish school thinking, do you know what, I had a fantastic time learning about the geography, about learning about sustainability, about soil science, had a lovely time building a forest school with Lucy, had a fantastic time growing food, I had a fantastic time providing food for my local community. If we get that right, then that's how I think, in my humble opinion, we can really inspire the next generation to do much more serious thinking into, into using permaculture as a, as a way of life. Mm. Yeah, certainly that thing about how a good or a bad teacher can make a most enormous difference in terms of your learning that that's always my explanation for why i'm so bad at maths <laughs> so um uh, it would be lovely to hear what would you say are the best examples the, the best if you could share one example that you've seen of permaculture in schools and matt you're very very welcome to tell us uh, this don't don't feel shy to tell us the story of your own project uh, paint us a picture of a project that has really uh, especially impressed you as a manifestation of this I think I would have to use the the accidental pilot project that was the allotment project at Reefham High School, as you kindly introduced, Rob, is that kind of accidentally created the charity, which I'll uh, hopefully talk about later on. And I think what impressed me the most by accident and kind of learning as I went is not, you know, how we uh, show children how to use mulching correctly or companion planting, you know, by the creation of tree guilds and things like that. What inspired me without a doubt, is the importance of engaging with your local community, including your parent community, because I found very quickly that, you know, I'm certainly not an expert grower, but I know enough to work with children. But what made the allotment project at Reefham go from being quite embryonic, um, a couple of raised beds, well done, well done, Matt, for trying, you know, that's grid. What created almost like a revolution at the bottom of the playing field was the fact that I recognised that um, I'm all right at this, but I need help. And by inviting members of the community in, by inviting parents to help me, wow, that's how you create a much more diverse project. And this is where I personally take direct inspiration from permaculture and my permaculture design course because it taught me the importance of diversity cooperation because if you get those things right you become or what you're creating becomes much more resilient and the allotment project functions without me now it is a sustainable project which is run ultimately by the students the community and the parents and I think that's what permaculture inspired me to do. But if I'm honest, I discovered it by accident. So yeah, for the people, the people and how you, uh, how nature works as a diverse, and a diverse kind of forest in a way, you know, that's, that's the most fantastic example there is I took that literally and I welcomed or created this atmosphere to say, 
come along, come and join uh, in with this project. My goodness, that's where it took off. And it became, you know, linking directly to the charitable work. Now that proved to me, wow, school allotmenting at this secondary level, it can be done sustainably because, you know, as I'm sure Lucy would concur that, you know, lots of schools kind of struggle to do this because they're so busy, because schools are like a busy railway station, they just don't have time for this. So what inspired me is the fact that you are stronger if you open yourself up to welcome other people. Fabulous. Thank you. Uh, And Lucy, is there a particular, is there a standout for you when you try and think of what this looks like in practice? I think similar to what Matt was saying, the best examples that I think of and I cast my eye back and I think about the nurture and nature that we did every week, twice a week, you know, with the children where we're just playing in nature or in the after school groups or within the school hours, the best examples for me are always when the children are so happy, when they're joyously laughing, not at someone, but because of of having fun, just plain simple fun. And how that joy, that laughter can permeate right through through my mood for the rest of the day, for the week, how the parents are thanking me. I had a a head teacher say to me about a child who was maybe around 10 at the time. He said, I have never seen him concentrate. I have never seen him concentrate like that. He was in the forest building a fairy den. And those moments, you know, later, some years later, he was diagnosed with ADHD. It was like nature is therapy. I would always say, like, instead of medication for children with ADHD, we can provide them nature. And which would would have uh, the better other effects or side effects. Those great examples where the children are engaged with all their senses, they're covered in mud. All of them have made, they've made a mudslide and they spent the whole time going up and down, joyously laughing and learning about the properties of mud. Or, yeah, when they were digging a hole so deep so that they could put the peace pole in, but they, they, they wanted to get deeper. So they lie down on the floor and they get their hand right inside of that hole and they're really enjoying it. They're really relishing their ability to, to get sensual, to get hands-on learning. Or there was this time where there was this other boy and I asked them all to to sit in the garden and think about peace. So peace for me is about peace with yourself, peace with other people, peace with nature, peace with all people on the earth. And do whatever you like. I'll give you a paper and a pen. Go and write a poem or, or express yourself or do whatever you want. And one boy came back afterwards and he said, I just lay there. You know, and he just thought it was such a joy that he was allowed to just do nothing. That, you know, that his life, his school life, his home life is constantly going from one thing to another thing. This sort of sense of busyness and being allowed for 10 minutes just to lie in the sun was the most delightful thing he could have imagined. So in in terms of our question of what if permaculture principles underpinned the national curriculum, is there, are there any moves afoot to that do we know of any examples of that happening anywhere is there anything we can point to as suggesting as to how we might actually get there well i mean just to share what i'm currently doing rob and that is 
again, coming back to what I was saying, you know, hopefully by helping secondary schools in Norfolk to experience um, having allotment and making sure the children have a lovely time, it's the role of the, the Papian project to advocate to teachers and students when they start really becoming interested in growing food and living more sustainably. It's our sort of duty as the charity to kind of promote what else is out there. So already certainly lots of students are becoming really interested in kind of what permaculture is. So, you know, I would certainly direct them to fabulous people like Lucy uh, and some of her courses and some of her training sessions. But from my experience at the moment, I think it's starting to be a bit of a reawakening about learning outdoors for all the reasons that Lucy beautifully explained. I think I think it's going to all being well optimistically. I think this decade is going to be the time, and I think COVID nineteen has kind of helped with that as in well. If I, if I can speak about it in a positive way, because I think it's made schools reevaluate the importance of going outdoors. As Lucy, you know, perfectly explained for improving well being, and also we live in this time where my goodness, there are very serious ecological consequences if we don't do something now. So I think those things together, I genuinely think are going to help, not market is the wrong word, but kind of make schools realise, right, we seriously should have an allotment at our school. And if, if, if it permitted to say the charity in Norfolk, you know, to be honest, we're a new charity in Norfolk. This is our second year. But my goodness, we are inundated with interest from schools all around the county. We've certainly got some interest around the country as well. We're not at the capacity yet to help all these schools. But I think that's a good signal that schools are really starting to be interested and they start starting to understand the importance and the value of having something like a school garden or a wildflower meadow or, or, or an allotment for growing food. So, yeah, I don't think we're quite there yet with GCC permaculture, uh, if there is the need for that. But I certainly think attitudes are changing, certainly from my privileged position of working with over 20 schools in Norfolk. Yeah, I think there are some excellent examples of where permaculture principles are underpinning the education, particularly in the early years. There's various outdoor nurseries where they have compost toilets, where they're following a nature-based curriculum. And in, in Scotland, they're starting to understand that in terms of inspectors, the care inspectorate are, are beginning to understand that and, and finding actually these outdoor nurseries are often the places where they get very high you know, gradings and, and, and well-applauded because of the work that they're doing. And what we want to see is more examples of that throughout the years. Like Matt said there about GCSE permaculture, I think uh, somebody had created one, but there wasn't the appetite for it from different head teachers. Um, And so it is working with those early years. It's working with the parents, because the parents provide so much, as well as working with the government and local authorities and individual schools to move in this direction. I once um, showed the head of education of a certain local authority the vision statement for children in permaculture, and that is that all children can access an education based on earth care, people care and fair share. And she looked at this and she says, well, you can't argue with that, can you? You know, it, it's, it's obvious. It's what we need. People understand it. They, they're intuitively, they get it. Think if I could just very quickly add to that, I think 
I would not be in the privileged position I am today had I not accidentally created the allotment project at Reefham. And just to share maybe help, some helpful information, I mean, that project alone has helped me access all these other schools because there's no way a head teacher would invite me. You know, who are you, Matt? You know, what have you done before? So I think what's important is for head teachers and other senior teachers in the schools themselves to see it kind of work and see the benefits it's not just kind of an idea you know there are real hardcore evidence that this really benefits children of the community so i think seeing is believing and i think got so many schools interested because you know we are trying to persuade schools that look it really can be done it really can be worked so that's certainly happening in Norfolk, I can, I can, I can soundly say. Mm, fabulous. I, but we should draw, draw this to a close in a moment. But I just wondered, if, is there anything in relation to our question of what if we rewrote the national curriculum based on permaculture principles that is left unsaid? Any question I didn't ask you that you'd like, to, like me to have asked? Any, anything left unsaid? I am really excited about the possibility of working in teacher training colleges as well. So how do how do we change the education system so that teachers are understanding and thinking using uh, the permaculture lens as we talk about, you know, putting on their permaculture glasses to see the world in systems thinking and can gardening be part of the core curriculum for teachers? And I'd love to tell people about the the children in permaculture resources. We've got various case studies. There are 800 activities. Like people often say, but what would I do outside? And I think there's an infinite number of things that you could be doing outdoors. We came up quite quickly and easily with 800 and we could just keep going. There's so much that you can do. So if you're wondering what to do, you can use those. They're all on the website, the Children in Permaculture website. So just just get in there uh, and try it. I think that's that's the key thing. If you're wondering, how do I get children outside? Just do it. Get yourself some wellies. Get yourself some good waterproof clothes, some warm clothes, and make sure the children have them too. And get outdoors. Fabulous. Matt, any last thoughts? I completely agree with Lucy and everything that she says. And I applaud her with making sure that the teachers, because they're really, really important in all of this, aren't they? Because... You know, they're the ones in the very privileged position to speak and then teach the children. So they yeah, totally agree with Lucy and making sure as part of their training, they are also being aware of what permaculture is and, and that massive responsibility of rehearsing the next generation to be much more, to be better stewards of the world than we, we all certainly have. Thank you both so much. I, I feel like this future we've discussed and the visions of the future that you've both so eloquently outlined today weave together so many of the threads we've covered in previous episodes that it makes me wonder how it could be possible to have a future in which we don't have a national curriculum underpinned by permaculture principles. It feels like an unimaginable poverty of ambition for our young people if we don't. So my deepest, deepest thanks to you both uh, for joining me uh, here today for this discussion. My pleasure. Thank you very for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Great to have this conversation and imagining. And I hope listeners will go away from here able to see possibilities everywhere, streets as gardens, parks as forests, supermarkets as communities of small enterprises. Do let us know how this was for you. Mm-hmm.
So my deepest thanks to my guests. Thank you to you for listening, to everyone who supports this podcast on patreon.com and to the fabulous Ben Adicott for theme music and production. See you next time.